Well, hi there. Long time no see, or here, I guess. <laughs> My name is James Knapp. Welcome back to, to Truth For You. It's been a while. It's been a little bit, but um, I'll explain all that where I've been. So, we are starting a new book. We're going to start one of my one of my personal favorite books outside of Romans, and that's Ephesians. It's a great letter about a great God. So turn to your Bibles or just listen to to, to chapter one. Will be verses one through two. I titled this the beginning. I could think of nothing cool. So, so where where have I been? That's probably what you're wondering. Well, I've just been busy, you know, with work. Whether it be working overtime, I did start a new job, and I've just been trying to acclimate to that. And frankly, Romans was just a bigger book than I uh, thought I could handle. You know, it definitely took some humbling to realize that, that hey, I'm not ready to handle a book like Romans. But I will finish Romans eventually. Maybe I'll do two chapters at a time, or something like that. But anyway, so why Ephesians? Well, one, it's a shorter book. <laughs> it's a great book. Like I said, it's a great book about God. It, it's a book that combines theology with, how do I say this? It combines theology and application put together. You know, as I'll, I'll mention, when we, the first three chapters are all about theology. You know, we see God's, we see about God's, we see about God's predestination, we see about you know, the total depravity of men. We talk about the grace of God, the love of God, and so on and so forth. But then after chapter 3, then he, we kind of shift into, okay, now put that into practice. So, what we need to understand is that, you know, we can't just have theology in the head and nothing in our hearts. But we can't just have something in our hearts but nothing in our heads. It needs to be a good balance of make sure our theology, first and foremost, comes from the Word of God. And second of all, make sure we're actually doing something with it. You know, there's a lot of great people who have, who know their theology. They indicate, they could tell you the 20 different ways God predestines us. I'm just making, I'm just saying something like that. I'm not, there's not 20 different ways, but, or they can say, you know, this is why God's providence throughout Scripture will never do anything with it. They'll just sit there and let, and let it grow and grow. Eventually, they'll just tumble over from their heads. And the vice versa, I know people who will who will, who will have a heart for people. They'll give you the shirts off their backs or give you money or whatever, or give you food. But they, they can't preach the gospel. Because they don't know it. Maybe it's because they don't go to church. Or maybe because they just lack the enthusiasm. And I think Paul is really here in Ephesians. Is telling the Ephesians that. Like hey. We need to understand that. You can't just have one without the other. It needs to be both. It needs to be. Um, it needs to be understanding that. We have to. We have to. If we're going to do something, make sure it glorifies God. And that's the other reason, is this book is all about the glory of God. All the books are about the glory of God. That's kind of an easy thing. So, but, let's get some background. This is one of the prison epistles. 
Why is it called one of the prison epistles? Well, because was, Paul wrote this in prison. <laughs> Very simple as that. It was written about 80, 60, 62. Paul was in prison. Uh, he, uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about uh, Ephesus when we get to it. So let's, so with all that said, let's read Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 2. I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So I got five points here, and don't worry, I and no, I'm, I'm trying to do more points because my pastor, my pastor recently told told me, you know, you know, you can't just be flying without telling people where they're going, because you know, so yeah, or something like that. So Chad, if you're listening, thank you. So first point, the author Paul. When we first meet Paul in Acts eight, he was known as Saul. He was a persecutor of the church. He was very you was very, um, and he, and if anyone had theology in the head, it was Paul. Because in Philippians chapter 3, we, we see that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. You know, he, and Pharisees knew their stuff, whether they, they admitted it or not. <laughs> but the problem was they didn't do nothing with their hearts. You know, and here's something cool about Paul. But be, Paul, Paul is one of the ones writing this book. Because remember, in Acts 9, Paul's, Saul's walking down the the Damascus Road, and boom, Christ comes down and blinds him. And what does Paul say? And what does Saul say? He says, "Lord, Lord, who who is it? Why are you doing this to me, Lord?" So he says, well, "Christ, like, look, why are you persecuting me?" You know, and I I've been going through John in my personal book, my personal Bible study, and. And I just got the, the part where it says Jesus, what Jesus says, you know, hey, they're going to persecute you. Not because they hate you, but because they hate me. And, and that we see. And that's still going on today. People are getting persecuted. We can stay safe here in America, because that's where I'm from, and say, well, it's not so bad. And yeah, we haven't made it named all or whatever, but there are people all over the world who are dying for their faith, being thrown in prison for their faith. But let me tell you this, though. One day the Lord will come back and he will give justice to those who have been persecuted. To those who, and he will, because we see in Revelation when he says, Lord, when will you give vengeance to us? God is the one who gives vengeance, not us. So, we see Paul, he becomes a persecutor and he turns to a protector of the faith. You know, um, We've seen many of that throughout history. Not just Paul, but, you know, um, I can't think of his name right now, but the guy who wrote A Case for Christ. He was an atheist. and But he discovered through facts that, man, this, this is real. Now, he's one of the biggest defenders of the faith. I'm sure we can all say that. You know, because we were all dead in our sins. And we were all... Enemies of God. And then God, through his divine grace, his divine providence, said, hey, wake up. Talking to dead people. So Paul's the author, but he's not, but 
he's he's not but he's not just the author. There's the divine authorship for every book. That's that's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is God breath or inspired by God. You know, I, I you know Theobutos. That's what I said in my my last podcast, the necessity of scripture in the believer's life, which I hope you listen to. It's a great message. Talking about why we need the Bible. And first, and then Second Peter one twenty one that says literally says the scripture guided their hands, Holy Spirit guided their hands. You know, see what God said in heaven, He says to earth, and but God does, and God uses the language of His authors. Now, and what that means is that because Paul understood a lot of this old of his theology, he uh, so he knew what predestination meant. He knew what justification meant. He knew what sanctification, appropriation, and so he had many other of these big theological words that we're just like, well, we try to stay away from. So, that's the author. That's point one of the author. Second, here's the second point. His creden- we see his credentials. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. That was apostle me. Well, in the Greek, apostle basically means sent one, one who is sent. And we see this throughout Scripture. That you know, I think of Isaiah where it says, "Lord, here I am. Send me." We are all, you know, in a sense, we are all apostles. In a sense, I mean, I'll explain this in a little bit. Don't don't take what I'm saying wrong. We're all sent once. Okay? We all have to go out and share the message. You know, just like the apostles did in Matthew 28 when Jesus said, you know, you know, baptize in the name of the Father, Holy Son, God, command all nations and all that. But, however, the there's a criteria. That's Second Peter 1.16. For we do not follow cleverly devised tales which remain known to you by the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. Alright? One, one of the key things to be an apostle is you have to actually witness Christ Jesus. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 59 says, Hey, I am I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be a called apostle, but because I persecuted the church. But he yet he saw the risen Christ. He saw in and because of that, that changed his entire life. So, and we can see Christ's resurrection through his word. Yes, it has to take some divine help to understand that. But, understand that we have to believe that. Because the foundation because the foundation of Christianity is the, re- the resurrection. And if you don't believe the resurrection, you cannot call yourself a Christian. But there are no more apostles. Alright? We're apostles in a sense that, hey, yeah, we are sent ones. But in the sense of the apostles, we don't have the same apostolic authority that the apostles had. We cannot receive visions from God. We cannot write new scripture. We cannot raise the dead. We cannot heal the sick. But what we can do is preach the word, is go out into the nations and preach the word. So who is the apostle of? Oh, of Christ Jesus. Solo Christus. That's what Christ alone. That's what uh, the reformers had called it. There are five solas. And we're going to get through, basically, I think, I think we're going to get through all four, at least four or five of them. So 
a solo Christos, and you think about there's, there's think, think of the five solas as a, as a foundation. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone is the foundation. There's three pillars: Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Sola Christos. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, which we'll cover that here in a little bit when we get to Ephesians chapter two. And the pill, and the, and the top of it is solo de gloria, the glory of God alone. And everything we do is for the glory of God. You know, I, I preach a message to the youth about the glory of God, and I think, uh, yeah, and. There's this quote I, I said. I'm on, I'm trying to find it. See if I can find it. Okay, I can't. I. Okay, here it is. Sorry about that. It, this quote just came to me. Against the perennial temptation to elevate our own words above God's and to pursue everlasting life by our own deeds, the reformers called the church back to scripture alone, to faith alone, to grace alone, to Christ alone, and by doing so, they remind us that all glory belongs to God and not to ourselves. That's from David Van Duren, God's glory alone, the majestic heart of the Christian faith and life. Now, the soul of Christos um, it's one of those pillars that says, hey, it's one of the foundations. And Paul took Christ very seriously. The early church fathers took Christ seriously. The reformers, the Puritans, Charles Spurgeon, and the, and the, and the preachers today. Preachers like MacArthur, Sproul, um, Lawson, Bay, and so many other preachers around the world. Are taking Christ seriously? Questions: Are you taking Christ seriously? Are you taking it seriously enough to where you just don't want to say, "Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian"? Are you a Christ follower? That's the difference. Are you a fan or follower? Paul's statement should be the battle cry for us. First Corinthians two two. For that's my that's my my first Corinthians first two is my life. In my not just my preaching um, my life motto, but it's my life motto. For I determined to know nothing among you said Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Either it's all about Him, or we're not preaching what Paul preached. Guys, like I said, that should be, Sola Christa should be the battle cry of every Christian. It should be this Understanding that without Christ, we are preaching folly. If we're not preaching Christ, we're preaching ourselves. And sadly, there are many preachers who think they're preaching Christ, but they're preaching themselves. They're preaching this this um, moral, human, humanistic deity, which mean which I just made that word up. But and I understand that you know we are preaching ourselves. We're making ourselves God. And thinking that we can execute judgment and all that. But it's not. Uh, Paul, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ. As through God we are made appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. 
we are representatives. That's what ambassador means. Like when you hear people say they're ambassadors of this country. We are we are ambassadors of Christ. We are representatives. So do Christ well, you know. It's like it's like my old coach say me, you know, pull, you know, when we are out, we're not we are representing our families. We're also representing the town that's written on our jerseys. And hopefully you're representing Christ that's in written that's on your heart. So while yes, it's easy to say, hey, let's go out and party, let's drink, let's have premarital sex and all that. But yet you call yourself a Christian, you're not representing Christ at all. At all. So that's the second point. Third, we see his authority by the will of God. Most this is the most common prayer. If I, if I would ask someone what to pray about, they'll say, I just know the will of God. Well, I need to know the will of God in my life. Okay, well, guess what? We can find it in scripture. <laughs> um Psalm one forty three simply says, Lord, teach me to do your will. That's very simple. And scripture reveals it. It doesn't hide it. Now, there's no secret to this. There's no like, you know, I've seen books like how to unlock God's game plan for your life or whatever. It's not like if you read every third word of John, it's going to tell you what college to go to. But there are some qualities in it. And like I said, it reveals it. It does not hide it. So I got 10 points. I'm just going to go through them quickly. First one is you got to be saved. You have to be. You have to have understanding, true, knowledgeable faith that you are saved. You know, uh, you have to repent and believe. Repent, turn from something, and believe to trust in Christ. Second, you have to be spirit filled. You know, Galatians five. You know, be fr- the fruit of the spirit. You know. You know, uh, Fox 16, walk by the Spirit. Be Spirit-filled. You have to read your Bibles. You know, Paul tells the Colossians, and, you know, hey, do not neglect the public reading of Scripture. You have to read it because it's God's Word, 2 Timothy 3, 16, as I said it earlier. We have to be praying. You know, Jesus says throughout the Gospels, ask and you shall receive. James says that, too. And let me just say something about before I move on, I guess I should have said. But um this is not just a one time deal. This is a continual life every day. There are some things we can't do, but there are things we can do. Like we can seek wise counsel. I am thankful of the counsel of men I have in my life, whether it be my friends, whether it be my or my pastor, or my deacons, I'm really thankful for them. You have to be sanctified, be set apart, be holy. Submissive. <laughs> this is a controversial one. We have to submit to Christ, submit to our parents, submit to higher authority. So, um, you know, being submissive, you know, we submit to, we have to submit to God, the devil will resist us. We have to be self sacrificed. You know, Paul in Romans 12 will say, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, Paul in Romans 12, let me just read it real quick. You know, we have to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice of God. I think he's talking about the Old Testament when they would sacrifice goats and sheep to God. 
That is no longer required, but now we have to make our sacrifice a daily activity. That means we have to be suffering. Now, we don't go look for suffering, but when it comes, we have to be ready for it. And if we do all that, do whatever you want. Like I said, but like I said, it's not just a, okay, a checklist, okay, boom, boom, boom. It's like kind of a mirror. You have to look at yourself and say, okay, am I, am I truly this? Am I doing this? Am I doing, am I understanding the Bible? No, this is not a how-to list. All right? This is not like a, if you do this, boom, your you're, God's will is going to know to you. God's will will be known to you. So, there's a, you know, if it's not the will of God, it's not the will of God if it goes against the word of God. Okay? People say, well, well, I'm going to leave my wife, go marry this other person. That's not the will of God. The, the will of God goes with the word of God. And then we can't say, if we believe that God's revelation to us, special revelation, is God's word. Because it's God breaks living and active, as Hebrews 4 says. So that's point three, his, his authority. Four, his people. To the saints from Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints. First appearance is in Psalm 16.3. Pull that up real quick. As of the saints who are on the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom all my delight is. What does Satan's mean? <laughs> Satan's. Saints, my bad. They're holy people. A title for all of God's people. You know, if we look at the Old Testament, God chose Israel to be a holy nation. And he chose them to say, I want you to go out and I want you to go out into this world. I will be with you. But oh my gosh, who are you? Are we? Are you a saint or a sinner? Well, the answer is both. It's like, what? You know, but I think there's a mis... Before I move on, let me just say this. Kind of, kind of, I'm going to chase a little rabbit trail. We, we should not pray to saints. We should not elevate saints above God. Because saints are sinners, just like everybody. But Martin Luther had this idea. You know, it's, it's a little Latin. Simul, which we get word for simultaneously. Justice. Same as just. Et. You know, it's the past tense of eat. I'm joking. But an, it means an, peccator, sinful. We are simultaneously saints and sinners. So simu justice et peccator. We are simultaneously saints and sinners. Uh, John Calvin said, No man, therefore, is a believer who is not a saint. And, on the other hand, no man is a saint who is not a believer. I think, um... Sometimes we kind of think, um, well, I, I, no, I'm not. I don't. We have to put people say, "Oh, he's a saint. Why is he a saint? Because well, he does nine things. Well, is he saved? No, well, then he's not a saint. But um, he is there, you know. But like I said, we can be thankful that we can be saints and sinners. In God's eyes, when you become in Christ is. When you repent and believe Christ, he puts Christ's righteousness onto you. He puts it on, imputes onto you. And he and he put all your sins onto Christ. He imputed that. That's what put on me. Psalm 32 says that. 
So we're on Ephesus. Okay, well now let's kind of talk about Ephesus. It's located in the Western Asian Mina. Mina. Minor. It's only the largest city in the ancient world. It was politically and religiously heavy duty people. They worship Artemis, the goddess of fertility. Um, we read about Ephesus and Acts when, when Paul goes on his missionary trees. So in other words, they were sinners. They were pagans. Everyone who is either not a saved is a pagan. You know, I think a Paul's statement, uh, or I can't remember who said it, it might have been Calvin, he said, it's a city full of idols. So, um, but here's something he says in Ephesus. Who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now remember, they they worshipped up Artemis, a Greek god. Paul is saying, you, have to be, you are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's who this church is to. Can we all just understand that and, and say, hey, we're a, I'm a, we're a Christian and in a pagan nation. Even though it says one nation under God and all that, we're still a pagan nation because we worship ourselves. We worship other deities. We worship different things. Faithful says the nuns trust. There's no other gods. Okay. Isaiah 44. The prophet. God speaks to the prophet saying. Who is before me? Who is like a rock before me? There is no other gods who can compare to me. And understanding that. There are some I've known people who say, "Well, I believe in different things. I like some parts of Christianity. I like some parts of Judaism. I like some parts of Islam. I like some parts of of uh, um, I can't I can't think of different religions. So I'm kind of covered. Well, no. Jesus says, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." John fourteen six. So. There are some people, even Christians, who will say, well, I believe in God. I believe in God, Jesus Christ, but I kind of like um, Hinduism, too. I like their gods. No. No other gods, but faith alone in Christ alone. And like I said, when we get to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to talk a lot about that. In other words, it's perseverance of the saints. The P and tulip. It's kind of like once saved, always saved, but such more. Perseverance means you're you're growing, you're getting stronger. You're not just staying in the spot. You're growing it. You know? That's what happens. What happens when you're older? You, you grow. You get bigger. You get stronger when you lift weights. It's like, it's like lifting weights. You don't just stay at the same weight forever. You won't grow. You have to say, okay, maybe I need to accept, Lifting to 25 pounds, let me lift to 30, and then to 35, and 40, and so on and so forth. You get bigger, and you get stronger. But what, what is the ultimate goal, though? The ultimate goal is Matthew 25, 23, when, when Jesus says, Well done, good and my faith, good and faithful slave. That's the ultimate goal, is to hear that when, we get to, when our time comes. And finally, his message. That's verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. Not, not John MacArthur's church. 
Oh, that's what church I want. I won't, I won't go there someday. I don't know about you guys, but I do. Patron God. This was a common greeting. And it's funny. This is a common greeting, but yet, this is a foreshadow of grace. There's in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says in 2 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. Guys, grace is undeserved merit that God bestows on us. Okay? And when we, because we don't deserve grace. We deserve hell, judgment, fire, brimstone. We deserve death. But because God's loving and he's holy and he's just, he does this not for his glory. He does this for his glory. He doesn't do it out of like, well, uh, he doesn't like he's like I'm telling the youth, God is an active God. He comes down to us. God comes to us. That could be something of the gospel right there. You know, just like in Galatians, it says the law is a tutor of, of grace. But it's, yeah, we see it here. Only true peace comes from God. John 14, 27. Peace, you know. Um, let, me, let me turn to it. Because it, it's really powerful. This is John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Yeah. Christ's peace can overcome everything. It can overcome your anxiety, your depression, your sickness, your doubt, your fears. It can overcome everything. And we have to remember that. Our Father, very personal. In John 10, 30, you know, I and the Father are one. I that is very important, I believe, because let me explain. When we say my father, we think of our dad. When we say the father, we think of God. But we can say our father. The Yahweh, God. The first person of the Trinity. And we understand that, you know, hey, it's okay to go to him. We can go cry to him. We can go angry to him. We can go sad to him. He's going to take care of us. He's going to wrap his arms around us. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to comfort us. Jesus Christ hears our prayers and he goes to him. That's the Trinity in war. And when we go through three, the rest of chapter 1, 3 through 23, we are going to see the Trinity in action. And finally, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're still on 5, his message. Is this Paul's thesis? Maybe. Maybe not. I think verse 3 is. Because we see the work of it. But it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. This whole, the whole Bible, it's all about Christ. Now, let me say this. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll close up here. There's a thing in, called Lordship Salvation versus Easy Beliefism. Lordship Salvation is saying that Christ doesn't have to be saved, but he has to be Lord over everything. 
and we are therefore his slaves. Easy believes and it's like, oh, I just believe and boom, you're saved. No. I take it, I'm, I'm more worse of salvation. And there's a great book by MacArthur called The, the Gospel According to Jesus. And I would highly recommend you read that book. If you have any questions. If any questions, please reach out to me. I will do my best to answer it. But in Acts 2, 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for something that God has made him the Lord in Christ, that he has been crucified in Romans 15, 6, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout scripture, he is called Lord for a reason. Is he the Lord of your life? Or is he just another addition to your life? Let me close. So, recap. Basically, we've seen Paul's introduction to this great letter about a great God. Let me just, uh, next week we're going to look at, or next time, we're going to look at salvation and eternity pass. Or Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Let me just exalt you with this. Go out. Preach the word. Be a sent one. And understand that, hey, God's your father and Jesus is your Lord. Nothing's ever going to snatch that away from you. I'll pray and we'll close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I pray for the person listening right now that um, they're having tough times to come to you, to come to somebody. Lord, I thank you for Ephesians. I pray that as we go along this book, that you just open my eyes and open their eyes, but more importantly, open their hearts to the things that this book has to offer. Bring all things in his name. Amen. I'm James Knapp. This has been Truth For You.